Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Raquel Faria. I am a doctor in internal medicine at the Centro Hospitalar Universitario do Porto. Today, I'm joined by Professors Ricard Severa and Zahir Hamura from the Lupus Academy Steering Committee, who will be providing expert insights from some key lupus research in 2022. 2022 was an interesting year in lupus with studies sharing long-term safety data, novel treatments and insights into what could change in future clinical practice. If one search in PubMed, 4,756 papers were published on lupus. Around 1,000 of them were reviews and opinion papers, 76 were clinical trials, another 76 were meta-analyses, and we selected some for discussion, some points that have not been previously discussed on previous podcasts. If you published interesting data on SLE in 2022, and we're not going to mention it, we are really sorry. Ricard, Zaire, welcome and thank you so much for joining welcome. us today. Thank you, Raquel, for your introduction. Certainly, this has been a very busy year for lupus research and for lupologists. So I hope that we will be able to summarize a little bit of this busy year. Several meetings and publications have shared new clinical data for both clinical available treatments in lupus as belimumab and nifrolumab, others that are used by internal medicine and rheumatologists for other clinical settings like baricitinib and ustekinumab, and the others that have been used in nematology and oncology and has been also tested for SLE like obinutuzumab, low-dose IL-2, ivermite, and others mostly tested in SLE like telitap, cisept, and litifilimab. 2022 saw more positive trials in a short time uh, period than ever before. I think you both agree that after more than 10 years of Belimumab's approval and use, there is still some controversy on which is the right patient to use it and in which lupus nephritic patient it should be used. And is it safe? Can it be used in all ethnic groups with the same efficacy? So, Ricard, you've been using Belimumab in practice, I'm absolutely sure. What do you think that the last year's new data provided to get us more to the right point in Belimumab's use? Well, Belimumab was the first uh, approved uh, biological therapy for lupus. And, and, and uh, certainly during these years, we still have many problems to, to, to know exactly which patients uh, uh, will benefit of this, of this drug. And we have a, a couple of uh, studies released during the last uh, year. And I think that uh, they enlighten a little bit on this, uh, on this problem. Uh, for instance, we uh, have known on an open label extension of the Bliss Lupus Nephritis study. This was uh, uh, written by Rich Fury and, and, and collaborators in the uh, Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Uh, the, as you know, the uh, initial results of this uh, trial in, in lupus nephritis were, were published uh, 
a couple of years ago in 2020 in the New England Journal of Medicine, yes. and they showed that the, the good uh, results, the, the, the efficacy of uh, belimumab, uh, and they followed these patients until uh, the week uh, 104, so nearly two years. And, and here we have the extension. The extension for uh, uh, 28 uh, additional uh, weeks, and uh, those uh, patients that were already on on belimumab, they continue on on belimumab. They were 132, and those patients that they, in the trial were on placebo, they will switch to belimumab. This was the case of 123 patients. Well, we have good news. Because uh, certainly uh, safety uh, is again uh, uh, good, so no mm -hmm. new safety signals exactly, and uh, also efficacy. Uh, it was uh, in general maintained through this open uh, label phase, and even a little bit increase. Uh, for instance, those patients uh, that were switched from placebo to belibumab, the uh, efficacy uh, increased from 60 to 77 uh, percent in the form of patients that uh, achieved primary efficacy renal response. And those patients that were already in, in, uh, in belibumab, the uh, they increased from 48% to 62%. So certainly these are uh, good news for the uh, use of belimumab in patients with lupus nephritis. And we have a second uh, uh, research paper that has uh, been uh, published this, uh, this year. This uh, has been published uh, written by Ellen Gitzler and collaborators in, in arthritis and rheumatology in a, a, an important subset of patients, patients uh, uh, Black uh, African ancestry. The uh, original BLIS trials uh, presented the problem, and this was uh, clearly stressed by the regulatory agencies, that uh, yes. the amount of patients from this uh, ethnicity, Black African ancestry, were uh, too small. So the new trial uh, was just for this uh, uh, subset of patients. It included 448 patients, so a yes. good uh, number good of, of patients, exactly. And, uh, well, this, the, 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 the the thing that uh, didn't achieve is a, a, a significant thing. Um, fortunately, and this is probably the first uh, trial in Belimumab, that uh, the difference was not statistically significant, but anyway, there was improvement in the, in the number, in the, in the figures. The primary endpoint was the same that in the BLIS uh, trials, uh, was 48% uh, in, in belimumab arm and 41% in placebo. But this was not statistically significant. Uh, so there is a trend, so maybe additional 
studies uh, should clearly address which subset of these patients with uh, uh, black uh, African ancestry will probably benefit more and will require additional research, certainly. Zahir, what do you think about this? Do you think that this is this is a really uh, big, relevant study? Do you think this would change your your practice? How, how do you, what do you think about it? So these studies are good news, as as Ricard said before, because we need new treatment for the lupus nephritis. Lupus nephritis is still a severe disease in SLE. I mean that the morbidity is still high. Uh, at least 10% of the patients are evolving to end-stage renal disease at 10 or 15 years. Wow. So we need new drugs for the control of lupus nephritis. I think that the, the, the main question about belimumab and the, the two studies uh, quoted by uh, Ricarda are interesting and are uh, adding new data about uh, a huge bulk of, uh, of uh, good news on lupus nephritis. But the main question is, do we need to use belimumab as first line or do we need to uh, wait until the standard of care is uh, a failure? Yes. So my opinion is because the, the morbidity of lupus nephritis is high, I think that it, it's better to add bendinumab as first line. Yes. And I know that this, this advice is not shared by all my colleagues and especially some nephrologists, but I still don't understand this point because the morbidity is high. So if you have a drug showing a difference between the standard of care, not the placebo, the standard of care and the drug, I think this drug should be used uh, as early as possible. And and this and, and is... Some, and another point which is very interesting is that in the extension phase of Benimumab study, there was no signal of uh, on safety. So the drug is safe. You can use it either IV or subcutaneously. So... It has changed my, my, my way of treating the lupus nephritis patients. And the, the Blissalan study showed uh, the data that was statistically significant was doing it at first, not in refractory patients. Yeah. So it, we kind of have to think about it. That was what data showed. Of course, there's costs in it. But if you yeah. think in costs at long term in lupus nephritis, they are a lot. So Yes. But, thank but you. The, 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 the dialysis is also uh, <laughs> with a high cost. So you have to balance between the cost of dialysis, the evolution of the lupus nephritis right. and stand renal disease versus uh the, the, the improvement of lupus nephritis. So my opinion is to treat with the three drugs, the standard of care, first. I don't know what, what in the advice, the opinion of Rika on this, on this issue, but... Well, this is certainly uh, a very good option. That clearly, the, the study uh, stress to use as early as possible. The alternative possibility would be probably to start with the standard therapy, but monitor carefully and if uh, 
uh, at three months, for instance, so early in the treatment, there is no response. At so soon, this uh, is uh, biological therapy. So the idea is probably use as early as as possible. Yes, but good insight, insights. Thank you. And we have another drug that is available and approved, anifrolumab, that, as always, have different differences in restrict approvals, national approvals in different countries. So um, lupologists are having more patients on it uh, through Europe and all over the world. And there were some worries about its safety, and they are getting used. And the, uh, the development program for the drug also got us more news in the last year. So, Ricard, can you please comment on some public, published data on anifrilumab? Yeah, that's, that's right. We apologists uh, were happy that we had the, the second approved biological therapy for, for lupus. And in, in many countries, we are still waiting for the final national approvals and, and reimbursement to use it. But in the meantime, we are having more information. For instance, one thing that we were uh, worried was that the phase three trials, although phase two data was really amazing, phase three trials, the first, very first one, was not as clear because uh, the, 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 the endpoint failed when using the SRI, but not when using the BICLA. And this is uh, one of these, uh, uh, let's say, methodological issues that we are always worried. And in, in this uh, study uh, that was done by uh, Ian Bruce and, and colleagues and published uh, uh, last year in Annals of Rheumatic Diseases, uh, they analyzed a little bit what happened in these patients. Uh, there was concordance or discordance in the, in the outcome measures between the use of BICLA or the users of SRI4. And they uh, realized that certainly the vast majority of uh, the patients presented con concordance between BICLA and SRI4 outcomes, between 78% and 85% show concordance. But those patients that there were discordance between, uh, between BICLA and, and uh, SRI, they managed to find that there were probably some reasons for this. Uh, for instance, in this uh, group of discordance, the placebo-treated patients had lower baseline disease activity, joint counts, and glucocorticoid tapering rates. And more placebo-treated patients had a brighter response than anifrolumab-treated patients. So these are probably some aspects that uh, in the baseline disease activity that should be taken into consideration when designing uh, a trial in order to avoid these potential failures in the at the end of the of the trial. So I think this is an important lesson that we have learned from this uh, study. Yes, the methodology has been uh, uh, really discussed. The amount of steroids patients are doing in both arms, um, both the baseline activity. Thank you. And what do you think about David's Jane uh, Anifrilumab paper on active lupus nephritis? 
Ricard? I think that it is um, uh, what we are now expecting is that uh, we hope that uh, we now will move in the same way that with uh, Belimumab, that we move to the use in, in uh, lupus nephritis, uh, we will move uh, with anifrolumab in lupus nephritis. So hopefully we will, with uh, the current uh, ongoing trials, demonstrate the efficacy in uh, active lupus nephritis as well. Yes, of course. And I was I I I was just asking you to do it because I the first time I heard that someone was using anifrolumab on the trials when I was talking with you in a conversation some years ago in Lupus Academy Meet the Experts Breakfast, and you were concerned about herpes infection. And I went to look for it and study after that conversation. And um, what what do you think about it now? Not only about the use of anifrolumab in SLE and lupus nephritis, but also on this risk of herpes that was uh, really a concern. Do you vaccinate your patients? Before? Yes, 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 of course. So we, we are lucky in France because we had a, an early access program to anifrolumab yes. in which uh, 26 patients were uh, in- included. So we had a real live data. All the patients were uh, we are treated by Belimumab first, but it was a failure. It was mandatory to, to and uh, uh, what we have observed is in line with the, the, the studies, the trials. So it has a very good and, and rapid efficacy on skin manifestations and also on arthritis. But we had herpes ulcer, we had shingles first, and we also had two COVID. Because you know that there are uh, SLE patients with antibodies against interferon, yes, yes, which yes. is mimicking the effect of uh, anifrolumab, and these patients are at risk of severe COVID infection. So the recommendations for patients treated with anifrolumab is vaccinate patients against shingles, yes, possible because the vaccine is not always available. Yes. And also vaccinate patients against COVID. It's mandatory for because the risk of severe COVID when you are treated with anti-interferon is high. So please vaccinate the patient. Uh, another point is about the David J study. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the use of anifrolumab in uh, lupus nephritis. It was a phase two study published in... Uh, uh, Analysis remit- of rheumatic diseases, and the primary endpoint was not met. <clears throat> but the primary endpoint was low proteinuria at one year, only low proteinuria, proteinuria below 0.7 or 0.5, I don't remember exactly. And something which was interesting is that they did pharmacokinetic studies showing that when they add GFR to the primary endpoint, and when the, the patients were treated with intense treatment, I mean high dose of anifrolumab, yes. the, pri- the primary, the secondary primary endpoint was met. When you have low levels of albuminemia, 
you have a decrease of the efficacy of monoclonal antibodies. So you have to increase the dose of monoclonal antibodies when the patients have low albuminemia. This is something which is known, for example, for belimumab. If you use belimumab subcutaneously, you have in lupus nephritis, you have to increase the dose during the first month. It's not 200 per week, it's 400 per week. Per week. Okay? So it could be an explanation for the failure of the lupus nephritis trial. And all the other explanation is that the primary, the first primary endpoint was only based on proteinuria. And we know that you have to add the evolution, the outcome of GFR to the primary endpoint. You can't have a primary endpoint relying only on proteinuria. The function, the renal function is very important for the outcome. So you think that despite the negative result, it needs to be more explored uh, and for four yes. years. Yes. It was, it was a secondary endpoint of the, of the study of uh, David Jen, published by David Jen. In the, the intense treatment harm, using a handpoint with proteinuria plus GFR, the trial was a success. Okay? So yes. I, I think that we will use any folibam in lupus nephritis. Just we need to increase the dose uh, uh, during the first month of treatment. Thank you for adding that. Ricard, you're on duty to describe and comment the the this first part of the podcast. And there's some uh, news on B-cell depletion. So we all use off-label rituximab. We almost forget that it's being used off-label in severe and refractory SLE, although it was not approved due to failure in clinical trials. And uh, now we are betting on another B-cell depleter uh, to treat lupus nephritis. What do you think uh, about the obinutuzumab published later last year? Well, this was, uh, I think, a, a very important step in the demonstration of what uh, I think that most uh, lupologists believe is the, uh, that uh, uh, B-seal depletion and the CD20 uh, therapy is uh, uh, useful in patients with, with lupus. And the only reason that uh, not only rituximab, but also ocrelizumab was a, another humanized anti-CD20 drug fail was because of the difficulties in trial design. And now we have another even more humanized anti-CD20 that is obinutuzumab. I think that the more humanized, the more difficult to pronounce is the, the <laughs> this molecule. And, and, uh, this uh, year, uh, last year, uh, Rich Fury and, and colleagues published in the Annals of Rheumatic Diseases the, the results of the nobility uh, trial that was a, a, a phase two uh, trial on uh, obinutuzumab. And uh, we had uh, good data. Uh, there is uh, certainly safety, that it's the main reason of uh, 
phase two trial, but also there was an improvement in the renal response through week 104 in those patients with lupus nephritis who receive uh, obinutuzumab plus standard uh, therapies compared to just the standard therapies. So uh, we uh, really agree now to have the data of the phase three trials and to be able to demonstrate forever then B-cell uh, depletion with anti-CD20 is a, a good option in patients with, with lupus. Zaid, do you have any comments on this and on the... Okay, it works. Now we could prove it. We knew it, but we could prove it. So what what do you think about that? No, no, I, I agree with Richard, but we have to wait until we, we, we get the results of the phase three study, Regency. And the recruitment for this study has just uh, ended this year, this this week. So hopefully we'll get the results during the next months. I don't know. And uh, but I, I am quite sure that it's a good option. Again, the risk of severe COVID when you are treated with anti CD twenty is high. So you need to vaccinate your patient, and this is something. That we we see in all the trials, the 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 when the drug is highly highly effective, the risk, the infectious risk is high. So vaccination is a good way to prevent the the the, the infectious complication, the viral infectious complication. Thank you for reinforcing that. There are now two drugs that, as I mentioned before, we are comfortable for with its use because we have practice with varicitinib in rheumatoid arthritis and we have practice uh, with ustekinumab in psoriatic arthritis. And they were looking promising on the first trials in SLE and then they didn't get to primary outcomes. Uh, Ricard, despite the enterprise statement on stopping development baricitinib for lupus. What do you think about its mechanisms in SLE? And what do you think about Thomas Dorner paper? Do you think it's going to change anything about it, Ricard? Well, uh, certainly we were all uh, expecting that uh, a drug that has demonstrated good efficacy in a disease that uh, shares many aspects with lupus, that is rheumatoid arthritis, the treatment with uh, Janus kinase uh, inhibitors, baricitinib, uh, would also work in patients uh, with uh, lupus. And there are many mechanistic studies that have uh, demonstrated that it could work. And uh, actually, at the beginning of the study in, in, in humans in this uh, this uh, trial that has uh, the, 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 the results, the preliminary results have been uh, published by uh, Thomas Dorner uh, in arthritis uh, research therapy this year, uh, showing that uh, there is a significant decrease on the titers of anti-DNA antibodies and on the titers of uh, globulins levels in patients treated with uh, baricitinib as compared to placebo. And this decrease was quite soon. Uh, it appears at week two. Uh, this uh, 
mechanistic ideas, these mechanistic concepts, uh, really, we all expected that could be translated to 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 the clinical efficacy. Yes. Apparently, uh, this is not uh, the case, and uh, as everybody knows, the trial has been stopped by the the drug company because of interim analysis that have shown that, that there is no clinical response. But we hope that really further steps will be done to try to see if there are also methodological problems in the trial design because this study of Thomas Dorner and, and colleagues really reinforces in humans that mechanistically this could be a good uh, therapy. Zaire, uh, we also know that uh, baricitinib has an interferon uh, blockage. So do you think that this could be as rituximab was on the beginning? We know it is supposed to work, but they just stopped developing it. What do you think about this, this data? Yes, yes. Uh, no, I, I think it's a promising, it's a promising curve. But but the result, the facts are other facts. So the, 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 the development of the drug has been stopped. Another issue for the use of JAK inhibitors is the warning about the risk of cardiovascular complications. Yes. So we should wait until we get results on both the efficacy and the safety. But it was disappointing because it's a very, from a mechanistic point of view, it's very interesting. So, but we need to to have facts. Yes, and probably it it can be that some other company is going to develop another jack inhibitor that is going to prove uh, prove that it works. So yes. let's let's just wait. And Zaire, do you think ustekinumab? is in the same level of discussion as we were having to baricitinib. But uh, in a way, it's the same sad story because you know that estekinimab is a monoclonal antibody targeting the P40 subunit of IL-12 and IL-23. We know that these two cytokines are involved in the pathogenesis of lupus and something which is very interesting is that Stekinomab is already approved for the treatment of Crohn's disease yes. and uh, psoriatic arthritis. Yes. The first uh, study was published in the Lancet by uh, Ron von von Ellenhofer, and it mm -hmm. was a success. Yes. And it was very exciting, very promising. But unfortunately, the phase three study, the Lotus study, has been stopped after uh, anterior analysis, and the sponsor has decided to stop the the the, the development no, of matrol in lupus. So as for baricitinib, we don't have demonstration of the efficacy of of estekinumab uh, of, uh, of lupus, but we can use it in clinical practice. Yes, maybe in refractory lupus. It's a, it's a, it's a, it could be a, a, a treatment to, to give to our patients while not responding to standard of care, for example. That was exactly what I was going to ask you both. We, it's not approved. We do have drugs that are available for other clinical conditions. 
and there are patients that don't meet and they have don't meet exactly the 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 entry point for clinical trials they are not as severe as to go for other approved drugs with lupus so for those who are listening to us you are not recommending but is it safe and useful useful to consider these drugs if you have a refractory patient both for body and ustekinumab off label of course Ricardo, do you want to answer? Yes, uh, I, I agree that it's uh, this could be an option that we have to keep in mind, and especially in those patients that have both conditions. We have patients with yes. lupus, with rheumatoid arthritis plus uh, lupus. We have patients with uh, uh, psoriasis plus lupus. So at least in these patients, we have to think on this option that the, on these uh, two options that can help both uh, diseases. So, um, it, it, it's it's so very good to have this opportunity to have your insights because you are experts on SLE and the, the patients in the clinical practice, they are not as in the books or in the trials and patients do have more than one disease. So... It's really useful and thank you for your insight to bring this up, that patients can have rheumatoid and lupus. Patients can have Crohn's diseases and lupus. Patients can have psoriatic arthritis and lupus. And despite these negative uh, trials uh, data, we it's safe. At least we know that, that it's safe to use in lupus. And and we can think about them. Thank you so much for that insight. And now I will bring it up to talk about a drug that has been developed for lupus. So, Zai, do you think it's we have promising data on telitacicept, both in adult and child SLE? We're not able to use it yet, uh, but what do you think about data about it? Um. First, telacicept is a humanized recombinant CFC fusion protein. So we need to keep that in mind. So in a way, the brother of atacicept, which has been developed a long time ago and which was a failure. Yes. And we now have a good data on the efficacy and the safety of telacicept in lupus, both in adult lupus and in uh, childhood onset lupus. So it's, a, it's certainly a promising drug also because this drug is targeting the BLIS-TAC pathway. And we know with Belimumab that inhibiting this pathway could be successful. So as I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, waiting the, the, the other results from uh, other studies and uh, ongoing studies, but I'm quite sure that this will be interesting in the, in the near future. May I have a comment about the uh, the, the the use of uh, of drugs that are not approved for SLE? Oh, of course. I, I just want to say that this is exactly what we do, what we did every day in clinical practice by using some immunosuppressant drugs that are not approved for SLE, not only biologics. I mean, some immunosuppressants that we use every day for the treatment of repulse are not approved 
I'm not saying that you should first use non-approved drugs for the treatment of oh, sleep. Of course, you first use the approved drugs, but we should keep in mind that, that this is exactly what we are doing for a long time. In refractory patients, for example, we are using non-approved drugs, but they are approved in other rheumatic disorders, so for example. Zaire, there are other two drugs that I think in the papers are also promising. Do you want to comment on the ivermectin and litifilimab uh, data on SLE? Litifilimab is very interesting from my point of view. Litifilimab is a monoclonal antibody targeting blood dendritic cell antigen to BDCA2, which is uh, expressed exclusively on plasma saturated dendritic cells and when you are targeting this cell surface antigen, you are suppressing the production of type 1 interferon by dendritic cells. And uh, uh, the efficacy of Litifilimab has been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a phase 2 study, but it has been published in the, the, the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. The first author was uh, Rich Furry. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, this drug has shown a good efficacy on cutaneous manifestation. Not on arthritis, but cutaneous manifestation. And another point which is uh, very interesting is that litifilimab is, can be used subcutaneously. And this is, I think this is very important for the development of new drugs in SAD. If you are targeting non-venal manifestations of lupus, the subcutaneous way is very important because the patients don't, don't need to be hospitalized. So you can treat them ambulatory. So it's, it's interesting. So this new drug had a good efficacy on cutaneous manifestation, not on uh, arthritis manifestation. And I think it's a very promising drug for the treatment of the cutaneous manifestation of SLD. Good news. Good news. Do you want to comment on uh, Iberdermid? Uh, do you think that this new uh, targeting is also promising? Do you think that it is for special patients? Yes, because uh, this drug is, uh, is targeting another way of mm -hmm. the pathogenesis of uh, SLE. So uh, Iberdermid is... Uh, High affinity cerebellum, cerebellum ligand that target the hematopoietic transcription factors named uh, Icaros and uh, Ionos. And these factors are involved in the proteosomal degradation. Mm -hmm. So you can decrease the level of autoantibodies. Mm -hmm. By using iberdamide, and uh, we 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 have a proof, a kind of proof of concept. I'm not sure it's a proof of concept, but it was a phase two trial published by uh, Rich Ferry again, showing that this new treatment was uh, quite effective in the in the in the treatment of uh, SLE. It was it was interesting. It was a placebo control study. It was also a dose escalation study, but it was a phase two, and uh, the results are, are promising. So, 
And it's very interesting because it's targeting a new target of the of SLE pathogenesis. So we've been talking for almost 40 minutes and we're excited about discussing this. So I'm going to ask you both um, some final comments about new things that you think that in papers and congresses in 2022 could change our practice or things that you want to mention about it. Can can we start from you, Ricard? What do you want to highlight, despite all we have been discussing for the last 40 minutes, in research, clinical practice, ways of thinking, what do you want to highlight from the last year's uh, news? Probably three ideas would be important to highlight. On, on one side, we have a new way to treat uh, autoimmune diseases that comes from uh, oncology, hemato-oncology, that is the CAR-T therapy. This yes. has demonstrated uh, efficacy in patients with terrible uh, uh, leukemias, lymphomas uh, that were refractory to all the lines of therapy. And as we always do, we uh, translate from uh, or transfer from uh, uh, oncology, many of the therapies to autoimmune diseases. And this year uh, has been released the, 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 the study of uh, uh, five uh, patients with lupus uh, refractory to other therapies that have been treated with uh, CAR-T therapy anti-CD19. Uh, the group of uh, Andreas McKensen from Germany yes. uh, demonstrated that they produce a complete remission in these uh, five patients. This certainly is something promising. We have to, to wait for proper uh, trials in larger series of patients. And, but certainly this is something that we are uh, really uh, waiting for additional information. On the other side, I think it's important also a new concept that has been introduced this year in the field of lupus is the concept of disease modification. This is yes. a, a concept that was already introduced in, in, other, in other conditions, uh, uh, for instance, in, in rheumatoid arthritis, systemic sclerosis recently, but this year also was introduced in the field of, of lupus the idea is not just to uh, produce the reliefs of symptoms or the improvement in disease activity state, that it's actually what these uh, outcomes that we were discussing, the uh, SRI or the PICLA uh, demonstrated, but also to uh, impede or to alter or to decrease the progression of the cause of the, of the disease. Uh, so the drugs... Uh, should uh, demonstrate really that they modify the disease course of the, of the disease in the in the in the future. I think this is a concept that it's important to to stress. And from the uh, uh, pathogenesis of of the disease, I think that it's probably important to uh, increase our knowledge on the relationship between the microbiome. And, uh, and the disease. Uh, this is a, a, a 
field that has been exploring many uh, diseases in many conditions. And, and, and just this year, there was a meta-analysis of uh, uh, in, in, in different studies performing patients with, uh, with lupus. And uh, they certainly demonstrate that there are uh, some uh, differences between uh, the uh, microbiota of patients with uh, lupus uh, versus uh, uh, controls and also between uh, patients treated with uh, uh, high-dose uh, glucocorticoids and those that receive, for instance, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, so uh, this is that uh, we probably already uh, know from the clinical practice, it is also found in the microbiota uh, studies in patients with, with lupus, that uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine probably also protects the, the gut microbiota of patients with lupus. Well, I think these are some aspects that uh, I would like to stress that were published uh, last year. All of them good and promising to be developed uh, in the future. Zaid, what are your highlights of the year besides everything that we've been talking yes. today? So I'm sorry, the time is running. So I will only mention one, uh, one, one approach that is very promising for me for the management of the I would like to, to, to highlight the papers that have been published on drug monitoring in SLE. One perfect. One good paper has been published by uh, Michel Petri. It's a review of some uh, of the monitoring of some drugs in SLE. Mm. And I think that this is a, a key point for the management of SLE because finally we are giving the same dose of drugs to all the patients. Yes. And I, I still don't understand why, because we have to try to try to individualize the dose. So the drug monitoring could be helpful for that. This is the one way, uh, one, uh, on one hand, what, what could be the, the usefulness of a drug monitor. And the other one, of course, is that lupus is a chronic disease. So we need to assess the compliance the adherence of our patients. After one year of treatment, only 60% of our patients are fully compliant. So we need to know whether they are taking the drug and also to individualize the dose of the drug. And the drug monitoring could be useful for that. And this has been uh, demonstrated for anifolumab in the lupus nephritis trial. Because they again, the same dose for the uh, patients, and it was a failure. But when they increased the dose, it was the intense treatment harm. It was successful. So, so I think this is some. This is a key issue of the management of lupus in the future, which can be used in clinical practice. Yes, and it's. It it is a new and exciting uh, age to, to treat lupus. We have new drugs and we have hard data on strategies that, that we can use to better treat 
drug and drug strategies. Yes, Both. to better, better treat patients with lupus. Ricard, Zair, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights from last year. To our listeners, we hope these discussions have helped you gain more of an understanding of lupus and developments throughout 2022. Please visit the show notes for references for studies mentioned in this discussion. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please leave us a review, which will really help us in reaching as many of your colleagues as possible around the world. Join us again next month for more discussion key issues in the management of lupus. Mm-hmm.